Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Ted Nelson, a philosopher and sociologist, and an American pioneer of information technology. How's it going, Ted? Uh, how's it going? When you say it, <laughs> do you mean my projects, my work? Uh, is, life. Life. Well, I'd rather not talk about that, but as usual, my uh, <clears throat> my projects always seem six months away, which is uh, an ever-receding horizon. Ah, okay. Okay. I'm, pre- so, I'm still working. On, I'm still working on the Xanadu project, which uh, many people mistook for the web. The point of the Xanadu project was to have a different kind of document, essentially parallel documents with visible connections, and uh, there, there are no systems that allow that now. The web absolutely forbids it, and forbids getting contents from different sources, which is another another part of our dream. So we're working our way around that in devious ways. All right, I have, I have some questions about that that I want to get to, but. Uh, First, I, I cribbed your introduction from Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, it, it lists you as a philosopher and sociologist. Is that accurate? Well, I do have social theories of, of a kind, but I don't do formal sociology. I mean, I have respect for people who do sociology, and I got a master's in it long ago. But uh, So how would you describe what it is that you have done in your long life? Well, I, I think of myself as a generalist, and that, that means I screw around in a lot of different areas, and uh, I took a Cartesian approach to trying to think things out from first principles from college. So uh, starting with my philosophy work, which I've always continued, which I'd call general schematics, and have never published except in occasional blurts for various classes, um, essentially philosophy of abstraction and representation. You see, every representation leaves something out. Every description leaves something out. There's too much to say, and it goes in all directions. That's a summary of my philosophy. And uh, this applies, of course, to electronic documents, which are uh, by which are forced to be sequential in almost every sense. Right. Okay. So, uh, on, the, uh, on the idea of being a generalist, I, if I recall correctly, you list Buckminster Fuller as kind of a, would you, a guiding? Yes, he was a hero of mine when I was about 10, when very few people had heard of him. And, uh, but he's had, he's had periods of popularity and non-popularity. In the 30s, he was well-known, but then by the time I was 10 years old in the 40s, he was kind of forgotten. And uh, he, he advocated being a generalist, which it turns out does not pay. <laughs> and uh, But at the same time, I wanted to be, and I wanted, I wanted to know everything. That was the thing. I, I didn't have many friends as a child because they were so, all so ignorant. And uh, I was taken to lectures from the age of four. I still have a handout that they, about the lapse that was given me at the age of five at some lecture, which I enjoyed very much. And, uh, and so uh, trying to find out about everything. I, I was blocked from science by my inability to, to pass calculus. I was very bad at mathematics, and I wish that uh, mathematics were differently taught, which is a different subject. Um, uh, I have to 100% agree. I dropped out of a computer science degree because of calc. Uh-huh. I can sympathize with that. Yeah. The, the thing is that what they don't, they don't tell you a lot of things that I wish they did. For example, at the time of Columbus, they were still using Roman numerals in Europe. And the, and, uh, and the so-called Arabic numerals, which are really Hindu, were introduced by none other than Fibonacci. 
And the advantage these had, and if this had been explained to me when I was young, I might have liked it better. The advantage it had was that you could make precise calculations with these left-to-right, right-to-left algorithms, such as subtraction, addition, multiplication, multiplication, and division. And so learning those techniques was a way of precisely calculating all the things that, the, that couldn't have been done by Roman numerals and had to be done by who knows what. I think they used abacuses and, then, uh, and, uh, and uh, Roman numerals before that. So that would have been one insight. But another is that, that mathematics is not so much about numbers. It's a crystalline universe of relationships and structures, which is utterly fascinating. For example, topology. But all of these subjects are, are barred to you until you've had calculus, which most of us don't get beyond. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't even have an interest in understanding calculus, but I came around, I came around the long way. Like, yep. it was after I began to understand. I understood calculus without realizing it. When, it, when they tried to teach it to me in school, it made no sense. But by being in the real world, by being a computer programmer, a lot of these, these ideas of functions and variables suddenly made sense. Yeah. From and, and, cur- and, and, and it starts by being about curves and volumes and goes on from there. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things, <clears throat> there's something called Mathematica, which is quite wonderful except for its cost. And that allows you to, to apply all these functions without having to learn the actual mechanics of it. So you can take the derivative of this and the, and the, uh, and, uh, the, the integral of that, uh, of however complexity, of whatever complexity, and uh, it's all very brilliant, except it costs 500 or more dollars. That is prohibitive. Yeah. Um, okay, so on, on Project Xanadu and in a lot of your, your work, uh, in hypertext in general, you talk about visible bridges. I, I, I don't know what this means. I don't know how to visualize the idea of a visible bridge instead of a one-way link. Yeah, it's, it's extremely hard to explain without, with a, by just hand-waving words. In so many writings of the past, you have connections between writings, sideways connections. You have marginal notes. Marginal notes were printed in the, in the old days. And and uh, written in manuscripts in the in the in the 18th century in the in, pardon me in the Middle Ages, and right on up. But uh, in computer documents, this has been forgotten. So there's no way. Excuse me. There's no good way <laughs> of making annotations, and uh, and and you should be able to annotate anything. And this is this was one of Doug Engelbart's objectives with the Open Hyper document that you that you could you could essentially mark any position in any document. And uh, uh, that's that's one step. But being able to see two documents side by side with a visible stripe between them. So imagine imagine a red paragraph on the left and a blue paragraph on the right and an orange stripe between them in two different documents. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, and again, most people from that description can't visualize it. That's why you have to look at my YouTube. So that's... uh like basically where one document references another document, it actually, both documents are available visually. Then. And visibly with a strap or bridge between them. I call it a bridge because you can cross it. You can be in one document and then be in the other. In the other. And and I, this is, I'm asking this as the obvious question, but how does this differ then from what was ultimately implemented for the World Wide Web? But what was ultimately implemented for World Wide Web? What are you talking about? HTML. How how one way. HTML links. gives you one column of text. Right. 
I'm talking about two columns of text side by side, sure. which you cannot which you cannot do in ordinary HTML. And the, what was the storage method that Xanadu used to have all of these documents available and interconnected? Xanadu has been met through many stages. The classic one, <clears throat> which I now call Xanadu Classic or Xanadu uh, Udinax Green, is, it was, it was relieved, released as open source under the name Udinax Green, but I like to call it Xanadu Classic, was a brilliant synthesis by my team in 1979, where they figured out the um, the mathematical addressing of versions, links, and documents in a space where you'd be able to track the, the history of every character. Now, that's not essential, and I've, I've dropped that in, in the present, in the present uh, implementation, but I, want, I always want to sh shout out to the, to the great work that they did. And, uh, but we, we didn't deliver on time, and the web came first, and that meant that any position that Xanadu Classic would have had versus the web, and it would have had some ecological position, was lost. So, so now what we're doing is, is essentially, <clears throat> the, the basic method is that a document is represented as a list of contents to bring in, and a list of links or overlays, so there's no embedded markup. Embedded markup is the root of all evil, I believe, because that means the content cannot be reused for any other purpose. Whereas if you have clean content, it can be reused and marked up and annotated by many different people in many different ways. And that's one of the purposes. So a Xanadoc is delivered as a list of contents to bring in from anywhere and a list of links to apply to them, which can be literary links, meaning visible bridges or overlay links, meaning markup, uh, 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 formatting. And all of this is put together in your client. And that's the package we're still working on. All right. So the philosophy then behind this type of document, this type of worldwide hypertext, what what is the driving, um, like way back to the beginning when you first visualized this, what was the goal? I haven't found any smoking gun of when I first visualized it, except one an Apple job application to IBM in the summer of 1961, where I said I was interested in user interfaces for text. But uh, when you say, what is the goal? What's the problem? What is writing about? Writing is sequentializing a series of statements, assertions. And uh, by the way, the word knowledge is completely inappropriate. It's, it's, it's assertions by the author of one kind or another. And... Uh, in ordinary writing, they're put in one sequence. So I'm proposing flights of parallel sequences to give the author more room and space and to give the to, to allow annotation. This to me is the cleanest extension of hypertext. There, I've, I've just been going through old volumes of hypertext. I just this morning found the um, the. Uh, Proceedings of the first hypertext conference, I think, in 1970. The point is that that uh, that, that approach to hypertext, uh, of people have many kibbled pieces, individual chunks, connected by, by, uh, by, shall we say, arrows, and that became the World Wide Web as a simplified model. But as far as I was concerned, I'm concerned, extending the the model of writing to a generalized form that's, that is at once easy to understand and clear and clean, and at the same time extends the ability 
to write and to understand. That's the motto. My, the, you ask what's the fundamental philosophy? The fundamental philosophy is all descriptions leave something out. There's too much to say and it goes in all directions. We can't show all directions at once, but we can at least show parallelism as a generalization that expands our ability to see and understand. Yeah. I, uh, is there anything on the web or the internet in general right now that, that you feel is true to that idea? No. Nothing. Not even like Wikipedia with, with sourced edits and you revision don't see history. Visible, there's no visible connection. Okay. Okay. Can you hold it? Hold it for just a minute. I'm, I'll just look for that book. Hold it. So just this morning, I found the proceedings of Hypertext 87, which was the first Hypertext conference and the first time people with these interests were brought together. And almost all of them have essentially one-way or two-way links between chunks. And that is a way of writing that is difficult. And so if we have the Zog system from Carnegie Mellon done by my friend Rob Axon, we have the, uh, the uh, note card system at, uh, at Xerox Park done by Randy Tragan and Frank Hallas. And the contract for that was done by my friend Kathy McNamara. And so all of these are essentially short chunks with arrows between them. And <clears throat> when Berners-Lee set up the web, actually all he needed to do, I said to him, I said, to him this, I said this to him <laughs> two weeks ago, uh, all he really needed to do was create the URL, which was the first thing he did. And the URL allowed all the different operating systems on the net to have a common addressing space. So why is percent %20 used for a space? I don't know why that was chosen, but what it meant was that you could use servers from DEC and from Sun and from Microsoft all in a common address space. And if he'd just done that, the rest would have happened, something like HTML and something like uh, the browser. So, <clears throat> so that was his great contribution. But the point is that generalized this one-way linkage thing. And while, that's, while I'd always thought that was going to be an important part of hypertext, from the very beginning, I thought that parallel pages with visible connections were important, as I say in my Xanadu Basics videos. If you look at the Xanadu Basics, if you Google Xanadu Basics, <clears throat> you'll get to my videos, I believe, and there I'll show, I show what parallel texts are supposed to look like. And that's a completely different notion of literature, as far as I'm concerned, because this is, to me, not technology. It is literature. What is literature? It is the sum of writings. It is what, what writings do. And to have a literature of just jump links to me is... is, is Sure. One, one of the uh, things that you've said is that the web and uh, even like modern word processors try to imitate paper. Yeah. And what you're envisioning is, uh, I would say, beyond paper. Yeah. Yeah, that was a title I proposed for a book, and then this title was stolen by um, <laughs> Adobe. But uh, but yeah, the whole point is to go to go beyond paper and uh, and beyond mere footnotes and mere chunks into a into a literature we can all share that makes sense. See, the the, the problem is finding the right mix between 
jumps, jump links, which is my term for what they call hyperlinks on the web, jump links, because you don't know where you're jumping to. So we have a hypertext on the web of jump links, and being, being able to extend that to a literary structure of parallel pages with visible connections. That is my job, still. So among all of the uh, things that the web has evolved into, uh, there's a lot of, well, A, just bad content, uh, poorly sourced, but then there's a whole wellspring of dangers and phishing scams and all of this. Would you say that Xanadu is a cure for that stuff? There will always be scams. There will always be bad guys. Yes. I'm trying to create a, I'm trying to create a different kind of literature. And and you can scribble in the margins all you like and do and, and put all kinds of crap into it. I, I I can't help that. But creating a different literary form that allows people an extended way of expressing their thoughts, an extended way of commenting, extended way of of uh, of uh, annotating. Unlike, shall we say, the the, annot- the strange annotation system that's, that they've just quote standardized, <clears throat> uh, a clean way of annotating that allows anybody to annotate anything without going to uh, without going to some website. That's uh, what I'm trying to work on. So it's a it's a, a collective approach. Collective. Collective, as opposed to one person writing and other people leaving comments at the end of it. Uh, it's more of a uh, everyone's writing and uh, replying, responding. Is that fair? You could do that. Yeah. But the, the, but <clears throat> how people will use this is not clear. That it can be extended in many directions is obvious. And, and uh, again, when you build something, you don't know what, what use people will make of it. I mean, look at all the... Uh, well, look at all the crud that's going on. <laughs> yeah, there are many. There are many idealists have led to led to the present story, the present sorry state of affairs. Do you see the web as redeemable? I don't know what that means. It's it is what it is. <laughs> okay. Um, is there any place? I, well, by the way, what I really what really takes me off is all the is the is the Steve Jobs aesthetic of vast amounts of white space and sans, faint sans serif type. That's uh, uh, faint sans serif type is it, 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 I find detestable and 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 excuse me I'm trying to be more polite. <laughs> faint sans faint sans serif type and having two thirds of the the page white seems to me strange from a literary point of view but if you have nothing to say of course fonts help you say it more loudly sure uh could you also consider that it's not uh not paper so white space isn't a waste it's a waste of my eyes it's a waste of my screen that's fair all right i would like to have more i would like to have more things in sight and that white space is getting in the way Right. If I shrink, if I can shrink it by pull by pushing it together sideways, but then that has other effects. Yeah. And again, the font chauvinists have taken over because there's no structure. People people do all the all these idiotic things with pardon me these all these things with fonts that are fairly pointless but very emphatic, and, and that you don't make a better 
I think people should learn. Start over. I think people should learn to write on a typewriter as I did, which has only one font. Then you have to learn to say it in a sentence, and not in a font. That is entirely fair. So you're you you promote content over aesthetic. Content and structure, yeah. Well, no, aesthetics. Well, the, the aesthetics of uh, the aesthetics of writing appeal to me. Beautiful sentences, beautifully arrayed, beautifully sequenced. But at the same time, uh, uh, making it look fontish seems to me utterly pointless. And of course, all the advertising is a great annoyance. But what can we do about that? Would I be wrong to say that when you first started uh, kind of building these ideas? Computers didn't even have screens yet? They certainly did not. What? Pardon me. Yes, one computer had a screen. I saw it in two places. The, <clears throat> the PDP-1 from Digital Equipment was advertised as having a screen, and immediately I saw that it became the future became clear to me. As a, I, I thought I was a filmmaker, and as a filmmaker I said, holy smoke, interactive screens... That will be the new home of the human race. Was I wrong? <laughs> and so my job was to design the documents of that future. And otherwise, the techies would screw it up, which is exactly, as far as I'm concerned, what had happened. So along came, first there were text files, and with absurd editors like, pardon me, with, <clears throat> shall we say, very techie editors like uh, VI. And then came... At Xerox Park, they built a system called Bravo that had fonts on the screen. And that thrilled everybody so much. Everybody wanted one so they could have fonts on the screen. And then Chuck Simone, who'd done this at Bravo, had done Bravo at Xerox Park, went to Microsoft, and Bravo became Microsoft Word, which was at first easy to use because it was useful for them to have it be easy to use. Now it's a swamp of technical complications. And from Microsoft's point of view, that's also good because it means... That, the, that there's one person in the office who understands Microsoft Word, and everybody has to go to that person to use it, to learn to use the tricks. So the deeper you have to go into it to learn it, it's completely the opposite of Bravo. The deeper you have to go in to learn it, the more committed to it you become. Yeah. So that's, that, that's basically the, the way software evolves. Software gets worse and worse because people keep adding stuff, and any cleanliness at the beginning is lost in the in the in the random additions, and there's no unifying director at the top. You say, my father was a, a film director, a TV director, and I believe that, and and I've been an editor. So, edit, what do editors and directors do? They unify content, they unify the effects. But now in in software, there's no such thing. There's only stuff that's added on by each new generation of of uh, of uh, implementers. And everybody wants their own thing on the menu. And so the menus get bigger and longer and more complicated. And the feature and, and features grow like warts throughout the system. Do you have any uh, warm spot in your heart for the recent uh, minimalist software kind of revolution that's happened? I know nothing. Of, I've never heard of any. More, more and more, especially on the Mac, uh, things like uh, word processors are coming out with no toolbars, basic keyboard commands, uh, getting back to the idea of just writing. They don't give you a lot of choices with fonts. A lot of it works with markdown, so you can't even bold or italicize fonts. I'm not familiar with that. I have, I have made myself, um, I've satisfied myself with text edit. 
and 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 also a new way of writing, which is <clears throat> that I use one Mac I, and screen share my other Mac. And it turns out the easiest thing um, in with that setup is to move content, to move marked text between the two machines. Easier than dropping files. It's quite surprising. So I'm working out ways of writing using that. Moving I'm, like copy pasting. No. You stripe something on the and on one machine. Now you dag it with the mouse and you carry it over into the other page ah. on the other machine. Yeah. Okay. It works with notational velocity. It works with text edit. Yeah. And those those are the two things I use most. Yeah. Yeah. Notational velocity has a nice clean interface. Yep. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Schneerov isn't he the guy that developed it? Zachary. Yeah. He wrote to me that uh, that the Command R no longer finds the second occurrence of a string because of changes they made to the Mac operating system. I think the Mac operating system is getting worse and worse. So my, so I only have one one machine that's updated. Yeah, I I can't disagree with that. Even as a developer on the Mac, maybe especially as a developer on the Mac. Yeah. All right. So. I know it's not uh, an easy subject, uh, and you can stop me if it, if it gets uncomfortable. But a lot of a lot of your work, a lot of what you've dedicated your life to, has never truly come to fruition. Uh, I don't think maybe not to your standards, not to what you would consider successful releases. Where where do you stand right now in uh, looking back on your career? Would you have done it differently? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, my father offered me a career as an actor in Hollywood. I would have taken that. <laughs> uh, I, wanted to be a, I wanted to be a movie director. And, uh, and then, I, then I had this mission from God to, uh, although I don't believe in God, nevertheless, I have a mission from God to create electronic documents. And, uh, and uh, that did not work out. And so here I sit looking for the documents I wanted. And on the other hand, I do. I have delivered a number of things. If you look at my Xanadu Basics uh, videos, there's in, in Xanadu Basics two, there are five working Xanadu systems shown, or four four are shown, uh, which you can actually open and use. They're not as well deployed as I'd like them to be. They're they're not de- as deployable as I would like them to be, but they're usable. And uh, my other major invention, which is which I call uh, hyperthogonal structure or zigzag, is, is available as a download. And that I, I have one friend who has just installed that and is using it to organize his writings, for heaven's sake. And uh, that's a surprise to me. If you look at uh, if you look at the the video, Adam Moore demonstrates chemistry uh, using zigzag. It's astounding what he was able to do with this system. The system was developed in Finland under Thomas J. Luca, and he did a brilliant job of realizing my exact design up till the point that the development stopped, which was in 2001. So what do you attribute the uh, overall lack of uh, leverage that, that that work has gained to? Too many ideas. So that, for example, people hated the Xanadu idea at the beginning for, for a number of incorrect reasons. I was trying to build not only a new literature of parallel documents, but also to create a viable system of commerce so that 
documents could be bought and sold. And this was all one unified idea because here's the, uh, here's, here's the notion. You distribute a document as a list of content and a list of links to apply to it. Now, some of that content may be, be behind a micro paywall. So I coined the term micro payment for the payment you would make to get that piece of content that someone has selected to send to you so that anyone is free to quote anything in any document provided that it comes from the original server and if there's a micro paywall the it's completely libertarian the uh, the publisher gets to set the price per byte or per, per character and the user gets to decide whether or not to download download that that part so the point was to to build in a system of payment from the beginning well the techies hated this it had so many aspects but they weren't features you know a feature is something that's that's glued on an aspect is something that you see as you rotate a thing so the different aspects of the Xanadu design uh, were hard to explain because it was so different. And it offend the idea of payment offended many people, not recognizing that we had to have some form of payment in a future publishing system. Now what we have is, are highly objectionable memberships and paywalls that are much harder and much harsher than the ones I was contemplating. And, uh, and, uh, but that, and even Berners-Lee, I argued with him in... Tokyo in 1996, I argued we needed micropayment. He, even he has come around on that. But the point was, trying to present all of these ideas simultaneously was too much of a mental leap for everybody. And the same for the ZigZag project, which is a, an operating system, as it were, for arbitrary structures of connection, which can be explored in rows and columns, even though they are arbitrary structures. And you can use this arbitrary structure for connection, for files, for writing, for graphics, for anything, for development of, uh, of uh, applications. And uh, once again, too many ideas in one package for most people to address. Does this go so, back to generalism? Is it overly generalized? There's no such thing as overly generalized. <laughs> okay point is that that uh, the, the problem is what I hadn't known is that once you have an idea you have to flog it and flog it and sell it and sell it and sell it and uh, and I wanted to get on to other work and uh, I have done a lot of selling and, and lecturing and selling and lecturing all my life and uh, again I here I sit still trying to get the pieces together do you think that if at the beginning when you first began presenting the idea of micropayments, if people could have seen where the web was going to go, and even when there aren't paywalls... No, no, there was, but there was no web. I, I, I they, understood. They they, nobody could imagine text on screens. Nobody could imagine interactive screens. I had three people, three people I've found who understood what I was saying in the 1960s. Three. <laughs> okay. They couldn't imagine, they couldn't imagine uh, computer screens. They couldn't imagine interaction. They couldn't imagine jump links, let alone parallel pages with visible connections. So, by the and and once once you had Microsoft Word on the once you had screens with Microsoft Word, people couldn't imagine visible connections. And then once you had the web, people couldn't imagine visible connections. So there we are. Yeah, I I as uh, evidenced earlier, I have trouble imagining visual connections. Well, look at my video. No, I, I absolutely will. And I'm sorry I missed that prior to talking to you. Um, but I was going to say, like, advertising has led to media being people are writing to gain 
clicks for advertising money now. And I feel like the more libertarian approach of being paid for your writing and not for the clicks would make a huge difference in the web now. But it may be too late for that kind of thing. Yeah, well, Medium is trying to do that, but I, I, I don't, I don't want to sign up with Medium. Yeah. It's five, five bucks a month. <laughs> so, if no one wants to pay for anything, how do we get paid? Uh, I'm afraid it may be too late. Yeah. Which goes back to the question: Is the web redeemable? I'm not sure it is. Well, I don't know what you mean. There it is. That's like saying: Is the ocean redeemable? It's like saying: What, what can we do about it? Yeah, I, I think the answer to that one is no, too. But 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 redeemed from what? It is what it is. It's what we made it, though. We? We. Speak for yourself, white man. <laughs> Humanity. Yeah. Um, all right. Where do you see... What, what do you see your legacy... If you could define what your legacy is going to be, what would you define it as a lot of writings and a lot of lectures which are on tape and on on videotape and uh, they'll be at Stanford by one of these days and and what would the message if uh, if people were going to encapsulate what you tried to change well I have a very good piece on um, on the net which is uh, it's called Ted's Computer One-Liners, and it's just a lot of uh, a lot of insights about how we got here. I like Eric Raymond's quote: "Microsoft is not the problem; Microsoft is the symptom." Now, AT and T created Microsoft by charging twenty-five thousand dollars for Unix. If they charged fifty dollars, Unix would be the world standard. Why are video games so much better designed than office software? And the answer is very simple. People who design video games want to play video games all the time. People who design office software want to do something else on the weekend. So it's a completely different, it's a completely different outlook. And, uh, and, and computer basics essentially are a lie because the basics are what people have chosen to make the computer into with these hierarchical directories. Technology is a myth because all human artifacts are technology. But like maturity and reality and progress, the word technology has an agenda for your behavior. Usually what is being referred to as technology is something that somebody wants you to submit to. So hypertext is not technology, but literature. And literature is the information we package and save. And the design of tomorrow's Literature determines what the human race will be able to keep track of and understand. These are not issues to be left to, quote, technologists. So these are some of my main points. And, and files and applications, as developed in, by the Macintosh and so on, are, are, well, let's put it this way. Alan Kay, in his original way of thinking, I don't think there were applications. There was only his one application. Now, we don't really know what it was because he, he's, he's pretty vague. But the point is that you'd be able to open anything with anything and do all kinds of stuff easily. That was also the vision of Douglas Engelbart. Whereas now we have a world divided into applications, which 
have their own file structure. And uh, the files and, and, and hierarchical directories uh, messes up completely because, you know, we start saving a thing under one directory and then we realize it should have another name, it should be somewhere else, etc., etc. And uh, And things get, everybody's disks crud up like storage containers that, with the things that are just put there and, and, and can't be found afterwards. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to have links to all of these uh, topics, YouTube and one-liners and all of this in the show notes. Is there anywhere that is like a central repository that you want to list for people who want to figure out all of this stuff? Well, as I said, I think the, my one-liners is a, is a good start, and so and, and my videos are a good start. But there is no one place, no. Okay. Or you can look at, you look at, look at my homepage, which is at uh, hyperland.com. All right. Are you on Twitter? Occasionally. Uh, nobody likes what I say very much. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for taking the time to, uh, to chat with me today. Okay. Well, well, thank you. are certainly welcome. And, and, and thank you for your attention. And, uh, I hope the audience uh, feels in in some way enlightened. I uh, I'm going to go watch a bunch of uh, Xanadu Basics videos now. Okay, good. Is it is there a zigzag I can try out? Sure, go uh, to Xanadu.com/zigzag. I'm I'm going to try that. All right, that's, that, that's slash zigzag lowercase. Sounds good. Um, yeah. And, uh, and thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you in a week. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Brett, and good talk to you. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Systematic. You can find me at brettterpstra.com and as TT Scoff on every platform, including Facebook, Twitter, GitHub, Last.fm, and probably a bunch you've never heard of. Just search for TTSCOFF. You can also find Systematic on Twitter, so to tweet at me and my guest, and for updates and announcements, follow Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T. If you're loving Systematic, don't forget to go leave an inspiring iTunes review. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Systematic. You can find me at brettterpstra.com and as TT Scoff on every platform, including Facebook, Twitter, GitHub, Last.fm, and probably a bunch you've never heard of. Just search for TTSCOFF. You can also find Systematic on Twitter, so to tweet at me and my guest, and for updates and announcements, follow Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T. If you're loving Systematic, don't forget to go leave an inspiring iTunes review. Thanks for listening.